Welcome to the Natural Health for People and Pets podcast, a show that aims to empower you with the knowledge and tools needed to take control of your own health and well-being, as well as providing health-promoting strategies for the dogs in your life. The world of health and nutrition can be overwhelming, so what better way to understand what works and what doesn't, what's evidence-based and what's not, than to hear it from someone in the know. So, please welcome your host of the show, accredited naturopath and nutritionist, Narelle Cook. Welcome back, everyone. Before we kick off, we've got an exciting show planned for you. But before we do that, we want to thank our sponsor, Big Dog Pet Foods. Yeah, shout out to Big Dog, as always. We love big dogs. Our dogs love Big Dog. And as a clinician in treating dogs, well, just nutritionally and with health issues, I love that with Big Dog, they've just got something for everything. So if I need a dog to lose weight, they've got a patty variety that's great for that. If I need a dog to gain weight, they've got a patty variety that's really indicated for that. Dogs that need to be on low-fat diets, allergy diets. There's a lot of variety and a lot of options, which just makes it really easy for me when I'm helping people and their dogs. Mm. So as we said, we're sponsored by Big Dog, but only because we choose to be. We were using Big Dog before the sponsorship plan came up. As Narelle pointed out, they've just got such a great range, such a great reputation, and their ethical standards are some of the highest in the industry. So if you're looking for convenience in feeding your pet raw food, you can't go past the range of Big Dog, which are located in pet stock stores all over Australia. So if you want to get a hold of them and it's not in your area, you can actually go to their website, which is bigdogpetfoods.com. Remember, they're Australian-owned, Australian-made, all their ingredients are human-grade, which is just great. But yeah, jump onto their website, look at their resources. There's heaps of resources there that you can go through that answering all the frequently asked questions around raw food feeding that you might have. They've got their Facebook page and their Instagram page. So get on everything. Big Dog Pet Foods. Welcome back to Natural Health for People and Pets. I'm co-host of the show, Glenn Cook, and introducing the host of the show, Narelle Cook. Hi, everyone. And we have a special guest on the show today, all the way from Western Sydney, Sasha Pecker. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Very happy to be here. Yeah, it's really exciting, Sasha. I mean, you're such an influence in the Mm. dog world and particularly what we're focused on in terms of dog nutrition and the raw food feeding aspects. So I've been trying to get you onto the show for quite a while now, but you're busy. It just hasn't worked out. But but COVID has brought us together, which is awesome. So yeah, really appreciate you taking the time out this morning to chat with us. Seriously, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I have to tell you, this is my favorite podcast. So this is my, we go biking every morning. And so you don't do enough podcasts to keep me entertained, unfortunately. We need more, but this is my podcast. (laughs) Glenn is at me all the time. He's like, you need to do a weekly one. I'm like, I just don't have the time to pull the information together every week. Like that would be my full-time job, just podcast prepping. So it is the long-term goal to try and get them out a little bit more often. Let's just see. Narelle will not do one of these unless she studies for like a week on subject matter. Like she needs to get all her scientific data out. You're giving uh, away all my like secrets. Well, it's just that she just doesn't like to go on air without fact checking what she's saying. So she's so meticulous about things like that. Yeah. She, I, I live with a perfectionist and that's the problem is that unless she has data prepared herself, she will not get on the air. Like she'll just say, I haven't got the cross references here. I haven't got the peer group studies. I'm not going to do it until I've found all the facts. So I'm not shooting myself in the foot, which I appreciate because there's often Oftentimes where podcasters will get on the air and they'll have an opinion on something, but it may not be correct. So it's nice when people do take the time and do care enough to release information into the community that's actually more accurate than less fact-based. Yeah. What we love, and, you know, we'll probably talk about it a little bit later, 
in my own fresh food feeding group, we're very fat-based. Mm. So I like to have those sources. If I've got podcast notes that I can go back and I can have a look at a study, I love that. Let's so talk about that great. actually, Sasha, because mm. that's a huge thing, your online Facebook group and the size that the community has actually grown to. So I think we should probably just kick off on how you got started on that. Yeah, I mean, I'd love yeah, to hear your that's kind of crazy. Your bigger backstory. So we will go to that because I love to sort of hear how you got to where you are today, especially with the Facebook group. So, um, yeah, tell us about your Facebook group and yeah, how many members you're trying to manage on a daily basis. It's a lot. It's currently, I think we just tipped over to 55,000, which is mm. huge, mostly Australian, which is our goal. Because I think when you're trying to manage a group and you're from a country, you tend to vibe with the people from your country. You have that certain communication style, whereas people from other countries, whether it's because of a language barrier or just a cultural difference, they can tend to communicate in a different way. And sometimes that's not always the vibe that we have. So we like to be mainly Australian. I think that also comes from when I was spending time in raw feeding groups, people would talk about brands and places mm. and all these different things. I'm like, it means nothing to me. Someone talked to me about something local like you know, in Blacktown in Sydney, where can I find, you know, a supplier? So that's why it's really important to keep it mostly local as well. Um, but where it all came from was that we were seeing in these raw feeding groups that people who were feeding a hybrid diet being dry food plus fresh food, they were getting a really hard time because I think when we come to any kind of community, but largely the raw feeding community, there is extremism. So there's often extremism of you can only do it one way. So you can only feed 100% fresh, otherwise we're not talking to you about it. And we found that those people were being really put off fresh food feeding because nobody would tell them how to add fresh food to their already kibble-based diet. So we really wanted to bring those people in and to really hold their hand through this initial stage of just introducing them to fresh food. And then you know what? Six months, a year, two years down the track, they may ditch kibble completely. So we really wanted to look after those people and then I found my, my little bestie, which was, she was university, and so that's Brittany Young. Mm. She's my other little cool chick that manages the group with me. And I actually watched a video of her online one day, and I was like, oh, I really like this chick. Like, we're on the same page. We vibe. She's funny. I call her a bit of a bogan. I think she's hilarious. <laughs> and we just got together, and we just started chatting about stuff, and we were just on the same page about pretty much everything. I'm like, let's come together and just like run this group and let's see if we can turn more people onto feeding a healthier diet. Let's see if we can plant seeds rather than really kind of bash people into it. And here we are, I think it's like two, two and a half years later, 55,000 members mm. growing and they're not following us. I mean, we're nothing to them. What they're following is this idea and this concept of doing the best they can for their dog. Because I think most people are like me and you, is that when we're holding our dog and we're euthanizing them and we're saying goodbye for that final time, it's like we want to know that we did the best we could with the information that we had at the time. Mm. So the name of the group fits in exactly with what you've just described is Fresh Food Feeding for Dogs, Kibble Feeders Welcome. So you couldn't have made it more obvious that you're all inclusive of the type of dog owner and what they're feeding, that they are welcome into the group to learn more because it isn't all or nothing. You don't go from 100% kibble to 100% raw overnight. So that's great. Yeah. And the vibe yeah, of your it's, group. Look, it's, it's the vibe. Yeah. Look, mostly it's on point. It's a very highly moderated group. And I think it has to be when you have that many people and you're talking about the subject that is so broad and so complex as well is that we are a niche group. So we are a bath group. So that is based on ratio feeding. It's not a fit for everybody situation. Mm. 
but we're like, this is what we talk about. This is what we promote. And this is all we're really talking about in this group. Whilst this is not the only way to feed a fresh food diet, this is the way that we talk about here. And so we need to manage that to keep on point because things like a whole prey-based diet might come up and that's not something I'm particularly educated in. I can't really give educated feedback for that. But a bath ratio start, that's something that's been in my life for about 20 years. And it's something that I've evolved over time to really understand and really test with hundreds of foster dogs. So it's something that I feel very comfortable communicating with. That's a really good segue to go back and to talk about how you did get started with the raw food feeding, with dogs, with you know mm. the work that you're doing now and with the fosters. So if you want to sort of go back to the beginning and let the listeners know where your journey started and how you started. Yeah, right. I'm look, I'm a walking cliche. I was adopted into a friend had a dog. <laughs> and it was just all down to the My parents, when they adopted me, I was just a toddler. We had this, I think she was a spaniel across Labrador. Man, I, I was evil to that dog. I took that dog up and cut dresses off her because they were too tied. And she was my entry into the world of dogs. And I loved her. And I think, although I probably wouldn't have realized it as a, as a younger person, but someone who's in their 40s now and kind of look back with hindsight, when you're adopted, especially as a child that actually understands what's going on around you, a dog isn't going to abandon you. A mm. dog is that safe and secure thing in your life that you can always be with, you can chat with, you know, you can take for walks and all these things. And so especially through my teenage years where I was kind of angsty, I had a dog at the time, which was a Labrador cross golden retriever, I think. And that dog was my world. I went everywhere with that dog. And I think without having that dog, I think being a teenager would have been incredibly hard. So dogs have always been in my life. And mm. we moved to Australia and we lived in apartments for a while because we couldn't afford a house. And we ended up getting our first dog, I think about three years after moving to Australia. And that was Leela, our very first Great Dane. And she changed everything. Because when I was growing up, we fed, I think, tinned pal, because that's what you fed dogs back then, right? Mm, and scraps yeah. and stuff like that. We didn't feed kibble. Kibble wasn't what you fed back then. It was tin food, you know, probably 50 cents a, a tin kind of thing. And then when I got Leela, I was trying to be the best pet parent that there ever was. Like I was going to rock this pet parent thing. And so the first thing I did is I went down to, I think it would probably would have been Pet Barn at the time. And I got a kibble from a leading brand for giant breeds. Mm. And I was like, yeah, we've got this. And then I was hanging around in the Yahoo groups. People who are old enough understand what those are, you know, pre-Facebook. And then I started to learn a little bit more about nutrition. I'm like, oh my God, this is not like the best thing for her. I have a breed that is really short-lived and I'm feeding her something that is not probably going to contribute to her having, you know, the longest life she possibly can. So we just started to, you know, make little changes as we we're learning. What I fed back then is nothing like what I feed now, but it was what I had with the education I had at the time. And Leela died just short of her 14th birthday. Wow. So I was like, yeah. 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 She probably had really resilient genes. She had great genetics. There were so many variables to her long life, but I definitely think getting her onto a fresh food diet quite early in her life and pairing that with all the other cool things that we can do for dogs with enrichment and exercise is a real game changer for her and being a great Dane that sometimes don't even look to seven. So that was my foray kind of thing. Then we got another Dane and this is where things started to change even more. I got him home at I think 11 weeks of age. Oh my God, this dog was pink. He was self-mutilating the worst allergies. Like 
it was just horrendous. And this was a dog that died at five after his second block of surgery. He was the most compromised dog that ever had. And I was like, how can I make this dog better? When you buy a Great Dane from a breeder, they will usually say to you, you need to feed this, this, and this. We know our line's best. You need to do this. And even though we had gone into fresh food feeding, I was like, well, they know best, right? This is my first pedigree dog. This was my first show dog. And I'm going to do everything they tell me because they know best. Yeah, well, it didn't work that way. Mm. <laughs> and so I started to investigate more about allergies and how nutrition could work into that. And, you know, we did the best we could at the time for this dog. And I hope that what I did for him gave him a better quality of life that he would have had if he was just on a dry food diet. And every dog since then, has brought me a new challenge mm. because that's what dogs do. They're universe sent <laughs> to test you. And then uh, we've been fostering for a long time anyway. We'd always usually had one foster dog in and there was always this problem child. I'm always drawn to them. And I think it comes back to if you're a rescuer, I know probably people in rescue probably don't think like this, but I have a different frame of mind. When you rescue a dog and you work as a foster carer, you're not really trying to save that dog. You're just trying to save yourself. There's just a different way of, rescuing yourself and giving yourself you know the therapy that you really need you don't realize that you're doing it but we're always attracted and I'm still attracted to this day to the ones that need more help because I love their story I love their journey I love that people can see these what I call little street kids which are crosses of crosses of crosses you know they come through and they look terrible they're emaciated or they've got rickets and all these different things and you can show people what amazing journey that fresh food can give to these dogs. And using my platform as well, which is a fairly good one, I can help find a home pretty quickly for these dogs too. So I like, I mean, in the last year or two years, we've had some pretty special cases come through as puppies. I love those cases. I love the journey and I love sharing the journey, but it teaches me something new every time. When we had rickets not that long ago, we could kind of play with things a little bit. Because even though there might be two studies out there on rickets and dogs, they both said the complete opposite. Mm. And so we're like, okay, let's kind of go with a gut feeling here and let's kind of try and, and see how we go. And now my experience with that dog now helps guide people and other rescues with the dogs that they get that have rickets as well. So it's a cool situation. I just want to circle back to that, Sasha, because I think that was a really important statement that you made earlier on where when people are rescuing, they're actually rescuing themselves. I think yeah. that's probably one of the best things I've heard for a long time because it's a really honest and an accurate depiction of what actually happens a lot in rescue. It probably doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen a lot is, you know, sometimes people are so hurt inside because they've had early childhood trauma and that they've been going through. And I tend to relate it to a lack of being able to control what's happening to you and what's happening to your surroundings. And then when you have the ability to control it yourself, you feel like you've been able to mend something that you've been very out of control with in your past. Like I professed everyone, I'm not a psychologist and I don't try and psychologically help people, but I'm interested in conversations like that because I do think that's very relevant in this space. I think dogs in general, whether you're a rescuer or not, whilst it doesn't sound like a very nice thing, we control dogs. Mm. It's that simple. We control them. And sometimes we like that. We like to have that control, whether we you know, connect with what we're doing or not is completely different. But unfortunately, and I think most people would be aware who are kind of involved in rescue is that mental health challenges within the rescue organizations is a thing. There mm. are people that then become porters and so forth. And it can be a really problematic situation. I ran Great Dane Rescue for 
around about 10 years and I stopped because of compassion fatigue. One year, sorry, one week I had to put down four Great Danes. Mm. Like I'm tough, but I'm not that tough, you know, because when you're a rescuer, you have to make really hard decisions. A giant breed dog who's human aggressive is not a dog that you fix. That's a dog you manage. And one day management might go wrong and someone ends up in the hospital. And it happened. It happened to one of the dogs that I rescued, a really, really sad case, horrendously neglected and abused dog. And ended up going back to the breeder, which it wasn't with me. And I, I did specify, you know, just let this dog settle in and decompress. And let's see who the dog is. They ended up placing it with someone who had bought one of their dogs before. The dog took down a kid by the head and put him in the hospital. Mm. Oh, wow. And after that, I was just like, whoo, that's a lot to unpack. And, you know, even just recently, I had a little dog. His name was Barry. He's a Pomeranian cross. He's 10 years old. I saw Barry's wow, story, like, Janie. Yeah. <laughs> Barry. Oh, Barry. Barry is hard work, but when we look at sort of mental health challenges within the rescue sector, you see dogs like Barry and people just want to save them all. They're like, oh, you know, this is this damaged little dog and we just need to save him because, you know, people don't want to euthanize dogs. And so we end up with hoarding situations and then people's mental health really, really gets affected. And I just said no to that. I was like, when I felt that my mental health was being affected by euthanizing so many days, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I need a break. And then I just started rescuing crossbreeds. I was like, I love my little crossbreeds. And I don't mind. I mean, I've got a pedigree Great Dane right now, and I'll probably always have a pedigree dog in my life. But I just like these little kids that, A, are usually they come in as puppies. They're super ugly. Like, let's just be honest. They've got a really short window that they can be adopted in because outside of that, probably 12 to 16 weeks, these kids go ugly and nobody wants them. They are brindle little bully crossbreeds and they're really hard to place. Mm. So what we do, we take them in, we get them going really, really good with what they look like. So they're healthy, they're happy, but then we put a lot of training into them because trying to adopt out a little crossbreed that just looks like nothing interesting without any training whatsoever or anything, you know, kind of a point of difference is really, really challenging. So that's kind of the cool thing. You know, you're taking this little puppy, then it sits, drops, stands, it does all these tricks. It can walk really nicely on a lead. It's not going to bug you when you're eating dinner. Those are the dogs that get adopted. So that's the cool thing that we do. And we've got one coming in today. We've got a really sick puppy coming in today. Mm. I don't know what the deal is there yet, but we're we're ready and waiting. Oh, you're doing amazing work, Sasha. So hats off to you for that. Was it the Great Danes that sort of got you into the line of work that you're doing as your profession mm-hmm. now? If you want to talk about what yeah. you actually do. And the name of the business so, too. Yep. The company is called The Balance Canine and the balance section is not just about body, it's about body and mind. Mm. So even though I'm not a trainer or a behaviorist, in my line of work, I deal with a lot of behavioral issues because these dogs need to be handled. These dogs are often poorly bred dogs that are bred for purpose. So we're seeing a lot of dogs coming through in the space of coolies, kelpies, border collies, and the mixes within those that people don't understand enough about drive. So they're seeing what they believe to be these really high drive dogs, but yet it's just this nervousness. And this nervousness then turns into something that can become really dangerous. And a lot of the work that I do here is with performance dogs mostly. So I do nutrition, I do their body work, and I do their fitness. So we use conditioning, which people would probably 
see is like things like inflatable equipment, like inflatable peanuts and bit bones and things like that, kind of like physio kind of stuff. But how I use it is we turn it into a behavioral thing. So a dog who's put on conditioning equipment has to have really solid foundations. They can't just jump on equipment because it's really dangerous if they just go crazy on it. It's not toys. It's not fun. It's not play. It's really serious work. And we take that control, creating a little bit of stress and then helping them feel that they can come through that stress and just showing them self-control and that they can get through things themselves. They can feel a change of emotion themselves. And then they become a more balanced dog, more balanced physically, more balanced emotionally. So then they can go on in life. They can compete in agility or IPO or whatever it is that they need to do. And they can be balanced because if you're not balanced mentally and physically, then you're really dangerous out there no matter what you do. You might be an agility dog that just plows through jumps because it just it just lost its mind, you know? Mm. Or you could be an IPO dog that could put itself in a really dangerous situation because it's not thinking of what its body's doing when it's doing, you know, even like, you know, jumping over a one meter jump or something mm. like that. And it sounds takes like it ladybug. Out. Well, it sounds like Kristen's yeah. dog. Blue. <laughs> oh, that's a cool dog. I know, I I know that Kristen and Blue have gone to you as a client. Yeah. So as a baby puppy, we, we saw Blue. So showing her how to use her body, which is really interesting when we have little baby puppies and we're showing them how to use their bodies. Every time they have a growth spurt, they're like, I don't know how to use my body anymore. So it's like having to go back and go, okay, remember how we do this? You know, how to be calm and collected because when you're a Malinois, man, you're probably going to be a pretty intense adult and you're going to be doing some pretty cool stuff. And if you don't have mental balance and physical balance with your body and understand how your body works, well, you could be problematic to yourself and uh, you might want to have pet insurance. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> so I guess to just cycle back on that, Leela was my very, my very first Great Dane. She was what brought me into this business because whilst we couldn't get a diagnosis on her condition, Danes do this thing that we call, oh, they lose their back legs as they get older. Like they just can't stand up, right? Like their hind quarter goes on them. So what we know now is that there's two conditions that are mainly affected in that, degenerative um, myopathy um, and also what Gavin has, which is IVDD. So two conditions that affect the hind quarter. Now, I wasn't in the business at the time when Leela was going through this and I was seeing all different people. Nobody could help her. I was like, right. I'll train myself. Mm. <laughs> I'll start this whole process and I'll save her. She passed away before I could even get a decent way in my studies, but she was the first one that got me set on this track. So I did acupuncture as my very first modality, which I don't do anymore. And then I did just body work, then adjustments. And I just keep adding things until I felt like I had this really nice kind of balanced routine that I could see was getting results with dogs. And then we start adding these other little bits and pieces. And now I kind of sense what I do is more of a holistic thing, although I don't kind of like that word too much. But, you know, really looking at, at a dog from all sides to go, okay, how's your fitness going? Because fitness is really important, regardless of if you're a couch potato or not. You know, how's your nutrition going? Because everything starts with nutrition. You know, how's your brain? All these things come together. You can't just come here and get an adjustment and then go do agility and think everything's going to be fine. If you're mentally not fine, then, you know, that's a problem. Yeah. What so. I love about the work you're doing is people are very reactive. So it's not until something goes wrong with their dog that they think, oh, maybe I should mm. do some conditioning, do some therapy type work or, you know, get some treatments. I mean, we're in that boat. We mm. It wasn't until Ladybug hurt herself that we're like, 
oh, we better look into laser and acupuncture and all these Mm. things that as a human, you know, I see my chiropractor just to maintain good structure, yet a lot of people for their dogs, they don't think to be... They're reactive instead of active. Yeah, they're not proactive in sort of preventing anything from happening. They just react. So I love that you are working with both, but, you know, you do promote healthy dogs to come in and improve their condition and make sure things don't go wrong, particularly for those working breeds that are just crazy active. Off their chops. Yeah. Yeah. You get dogs that are a lot. But the thing is, I think we're not that far removed at the moment from still thinking dogs are just dogs. So when people ask me what I do, it's a really hard discussion because you're like, if you're not a dog person, you're going to be like, this lady is crazy. I'm like, yes. people pay you for that. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I still think my so parents it's, it's think that about me. I think to pick, yeah. you know, my mum was like, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I've got a dog client today. And she's like, really? Like, yeah. You get a real job, Narelle. Yeah. <laughs> I openly talk about it on the canine paradigm when my nan, who you met before, mm. my grandmother was a very matriarchal, domineering sort of lady. I remember this, mm. and she does not approve of you being she a dog did not, No, she yeah, did not yeah. because she was very societal and she believed that was completely beneath the family for me to be a dog trainer, and she thought that only gypsies and carnies are dog trainers. So absolutely horrified when I rocked up on the door and said, I'm changing careers, I'm leaving the electrical trade to become a dog trainer, and she thought that was absolutely disgusting. But she warmed to it over the years. She kind of saw it blossom as a career, and she saw that I got – credibility in the in the community and she kind of liked it after a period of time and saw that I was happy so it was a bit of a funky story to start with but she was supportive towards the end dogs still are sort of considered as dogs but I mean I think you and I and Glenn with the work we're doing we're seeing that shift happening I think quite quickly and I think going forward it is going to be a real paradigm shift in the way people view their dogs as not just dogs but as you know family members it's happened I mean it has happened happened. Mm. and particularly with your Facebook group I mean to have 55,000 members I think nutrition is the easiest place for people to start when they're Mm -hmm. trying to do better for their dog and I think the physical conditioning work I think that might be a slower step for people to take to understand. Absolutely. I mean, we don't even do it ourselves, right? Like if it wasn't for me trying to achieve this goal of doing the endurance trial with Ginger, I'm not going to be on a bike. Like (laughs) why would I do that to myself, (laughs) you know? So I always kind of think, if you don't have a dog, what's making you exercise? Like what's forcing you to get out there and even just like walk for 20 minutes. So we're very much in, in that kind of lifestyle, aren't we? That we, we really don't exercise that much. So when we look at our dogs and go, oh, let's take our dogs to the gym, mm. that's a really weird concept. But as you're right, you know, nutrition is a very easy kind of lead in for 85 cents. We can add, you know, a tinasati. It's a really easy little step to just doing a little bit better whilst you stay in your comfort zone because Feeding a whole fresh food diet can be quite overwhelming to people. Anytime we learn something new, we feel overwhelmed. And I think if you don't feel overwhelmed, then you're not learning. So we just need to take step by step with people because we also live in a world of perfectionism, right? I'm very much like that. So I'm like, if I can't do something perfect, well, I don't want to do it, right? Because that's just how my brain works. Mm. So to say to myself, it's okay, let's just start with the tin of sardines today and let's just help you work to perfection, doesn't exist, later on. We'll get there eventually. It might be one or two years, but we have to work within your comfort zone to do it. Because if I started air bashing people, I'm like, you need to feed a fresh fruit diet, like there is no in between, you're just not going to do it. 
It's like when I was a smoker and they were telling me, you know, that smoking's bad, like, yeah, you know, you could get lung cancer. Yeah. It's not until things become real that, you know, we start to change our minds. And usually we have that one dog that changes it for us. Absolutely. We have the Leelas and the Dantes of the world that, you know, medical issues. And if we give them really cool nutritional support for that, then it kind of helps them get through it. Mm. So The other great thing that you do to support the members of your Facebook group, and which I love, is the recipes. Because even with the ratios, you see them, they read the ratios, they sort of know the concept of what they're supposed to be doing, but they just don't get it or they're afraid to sort of take that first yeah. step, even though it's all there in front of them. And so I think for you to have those recipes that are really like doable, the ingredients are really accessible and it's it's there in black and white. Like these are the ingredients. This is what you this need is, to do. This is how you do it. Yeah. Because even I'm a victim of it. So we are really conditioned to this complete and balanced concept. I was born into it. I'm still in it. And even from time to time, I will question myself. And I think that's really normal, especially when you're quite an educated person in that area. It's really hard for you to go, I know what a healthy diet looks like for me. I can do that without a calculator, right? But it's really hard to transfer that to dogs. We want to know, because most of the people that are sitting in a fresh food feeding group are like serious dog lovers, right? So we're like, we want to do the best we can for our dogs. And I want to get this perfect. I want to make sure that my dog is not going to be insufficient or deficient in something like zinc. You're like, complete and balance just makes it all good in my head. Mm. So it's, it's really hard. So I thought, you know, even though I don't personally support complete and balance as a way that you should feed your dog every single day, it makes me feel uncomfortable for a bunch of different reasons. I just find the commercialism behind it. I'm kind of like, other people need to have that safety net. They need to just go, oh, I can feed this recipe. They're really basic ingredients and it's complete and balanced and my vet's going to be okay with it. That's another hard one. You turn up at your vet who's not trained in fresh food nutrition, they're likely to give you a pretty hard time. And so you then start to question yourself. Then you go back, rather than go to complete and balanced uh, raw foods, you just go back to kibble. And we don't want people to do that. We want people to feel empowered and to really understand what these things are and not to be scared of them. So talking about complete imbalance and not being scared of things is something that we like to address quite a lot because it is something, even someone like me, I don't know you, like you, Narelle, if you have moments where you just go, oh, is that balanced enough? Have I done a good enough job? Yeah, look, I think we all question ourselves from time to time. And because I do a lot of health nutrition work for medical conditions as well, you know, mm. you've just got to be so on point and so careful. And I spend so much time with my doggy clients in formulating meals because I'm at the back of my mind, like this is, it's not a healthy dog. It's got an issue. So I have mm. to be even more accurate. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's challenging. But I think with your recipe cards, I think when people get comfortable just with handling raw food and seeing that, okay, mm-hmm. this, this isn't so complicated. It is just like creating my own family's meals. I think then mm-hmm. they're more likely to take that next step and just follow the concept of the ratios a bit more freely. I think that's awesome. I don't know who's doing your graphic designs for your recipe cards, but I, I just me. I, I love them. Well, then I am so envious because I look at them. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had like just one percent of artistic ability within me to even think to make something look pretty. <laughs> she she comes and shows me. Like she'll run in and say, "Have a look at this. How good is this? I wonder who's doing a graphic arts and so forth. It's so professionally put together. They look awesome. So yeah, sorry. Um, I love that you're doing them, Sasha. And I she I, fangirls your graphics. Oh, bless. 
I do. I will, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little secret. There's a company online called Canva and you can use them completely free, yeah? I've just <laughs> I, All yeah. my recipe cards come from Canva. Good to know. I have discovered Canva in the last, more so just the last six months I've started using them and I'm like, oh, my God, this does make life so much easier for someone who has no clue. I think you still need to have a vision, like the bigger picture vision yeah. of, of how you want things to look and you just seem to nail it every time with your recipe card, so... Good job. Well, thank you. We actually have something exciting going on. Here in Sydney, we have my supplier of fresh food is World for Pets. Mm -hmm. We're actually two of the new recipes that I've just done, which are for, I guess, for COVID times, people on a budget, hard times. They're really simple recipes. They really don't reflect the variety that I would normally encourage people to have, but these are really basic. They've got some some high carbohydrates in there to kind of bulk the recipe out a little bit, you know, hard times and all. The World for Pets here is going to stop two of those. We're going to send them 250 each of those cards that they can have freely available to people when they buy their fresh food and they can kind of go, okay, well, I can do it right and mm. I can do it cheaper. So, so many people still feed maybe kibble because they're like, I just need to bulk the diet out or they might be adding a lot of rice and unkind of balanced formats. And I'm like, well, if you're going to use a filler, let's do it this way. It's still complete and balanced. We're still balancing our fats. We've still got, you know, really good fiber and all that kind of stuff. And we can, we can do it this way. And here's a car that's free. Take it home and give it a go. That's so I'm awesome. really stoked that World for Pets is doing that. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. That's mm. great. Just to spread the knowledge even wider through a resource such as World for Pets. Yeah. I would have loved to have that when I was starting out to just have, you know, you walk into your, your meat store and, you know, there's a there's a recipe card free, just like in Woolworths, right? You walk into Woolworths and they've got some free recipe cards. That's it. And it's based on it's based on World for Pets ingredients as well. So the ingredients they can get right there. I'm really excited to see that you're moving into the underwater treadmill, like hydrotherapy world. Is that yeah? Well, well, look, bloody COVID! I tell you, mm. I I would have already finished my certification now if it was not for COVID, oh, no. because the practical happens in Melbourne, so it's already been cancelled. It's rescheduled for September. So let's see if that actually happens. So yeah. I'm super excited about it. Rehab wasn't necessarily in my mind. It was more so about fitness, mm. but certainly rehab for like dogs like my own Gavin who has IVDD to really kind of help him keep his muscle tone as things start to deteriorate in his body. I see a lot of Daxons as well with IVDD. So What is that? What is nice IVDD? So IVDD is pretty much when the discs aren't doing what they need to do anymore. So with Gavin, for example, in the base of his neck, one of his discs has actually exploded and now it's actually pressing on his spinal cord. Mm. So in big dogs, we'll often see it in their necks, especially in days you've got these big heads and these long, elegant necks. It's kind of like a biomechanical give out at the end. But then when we have dachshunds, for example, when we have these long backs and we're letting them jump on and off furniture, then we can get injury. So they're already genetically predisposed to IVDD in most cases. So it just increases their risk. Like Gavin is, he carries one gene for IVDD. And then they might have an injury or it's just a progressive disease and it comes about. So it kind of makes them drunk. Mm. You know, kind of like what, what happened to Ladybug in, mm. in, in an instance, you know, you blow a disc and in Gavin's case, he's not going to recover by himself. With Dachshunds, sometimes we can just crate rest them for six weeks and they'll come good. Um, like what you did with Ladybug, she had surgery, I think, from memory, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Gavin, we didn't believe, was a surgical candidate. It's like it's like a horse being down for a long period of time. There was a lot of risk factors involved. He has other health conditions, so we decided not to do surgery with him. And so he just lives out his life a little drunk, and he, he has what we call nuggets now. 
So when he gets up from his bed, there's a little poo nuggets. He's disgusted that someone's taking a poo on his bed. I haven't told him yet that that's actually him that's pooing on his own bed yet. <laughs> that sounds um, like a familiar story but, too, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> Ladybug does that. A little, yeah. yeah, little nuggets. So IBDD is, is so common these days. And, you know, we bring home these little dogs that are uh, these little pocket rockets, right? Like our little Frenchies, like mm. crazy little things. Um, and they like to just kind of like parkour off the environment mm-hmm. and they can really do themselves damage. And mm-hmm. you can't, it's almost like you can't stop them because if you stop them, then what's their quality of life? That's just who they are, right? So you can kind of like, please don't do that. Please don't jump off the top of the couch. But, you know, by the time you say that and try and get there, they're already done. It's not only that, even with a situation where, let's say you stop them from one piece of furniture, they would find something else to jump off or they'd hit a wall and bounce off that or something like that. Like Ladybug was just, (laughs) she's just reprehensible with her behavior when she kicks into drive. And there's a problem with when a dog is initiated into drive. We always had a saying in the industry that drive blocks fear and pain. It's the same when dogs want to beat each other up. Like, let's talk a couple of siblings. They might be very responsive to you in all situations until that drive kicks in where they want to uh-huh. have a stoush with the other dog and they can't hear or feel anything that's going on around them until uh-huh. after the skirmish. And then after that, they're sort of looking around going, oh, what's happening? I'm I'm hurting. This is not fair. <laughs> But during the initiation, not that you would, I'm not saying this as something you would do or I'd encourage, but you could throw a chair at them and they just bounce off them and they go, yeah, I don't care about that. That doesn't hurt. But but the minute after it's all happened and they've sort of snapped back to reality, then their cortisol and their adrenaline has all run dry. And it's the same thing with us. You start to feel mortal again. I know this for a fact. About two years ago, I was at the park with Gavin, the Dane, Ginger, who's a bully cross. Now, this is when Gavin can still move around a little bit. They all of a sudden went into a Zoom and mm-hmm. they were just Zooming. I was like, oh, shit. You know, I'm in the middle of the park. That is not a safe place to be. And I'm trying to get to the fence line. And Dane will, will usually play chicken with you if you don't move, you're safe. But Ginger, no concept where she was at all. Anyway, she came and smacked me in the side of the knee. I tore my medial ligament and... I went down like a sack of shit. Oh, my God. I got up and went, I feel a little unstable, but there's no pain. Mm. Hmm. Do you know what? I better get home really quick (laughs) because I'm only like five minutes away from home. And I got home and the pain, oh, my gosh. Like I just had that moment where it's like, yep, adrenaline is there. I'm all good. It's giving me an opportunity, this nice little window to get home. And then I'm going to feel it. So mm. you oh, think no. it like, you know, they say it about greyhounds as well. I, you know, I, regardless of any kind of medication or whatever, they will cross a finish line on a broken leg. Like if you're in that drive, like you're there, right? Mm. And these little dogs are intense, like little dachshunds. I mean, Glenn, you must deal with dachshunds, right? Like, Oh, we know about crazy. dachshunds. Mm. Oh, yeah. They're crazy little fiery little guys. Yep. And so when they're zooming and they're jumping on and off furniture, you're just like, oh, my God, don't do that. You know, but we bring them into our homes as companions and we want them sitting with us on the furniture, right? One of the, we don't think that they've got these long, unstable backs. One of the breeds that I still to this day say, one of the breeds to this day that I was attacked by most virulently was a little <laughs> Dachshund. This is about 25 years ago. And I went into a kennel because, you know, 
like he looked like a cute little dog. And I had warnings from him from the staff. Like the staff had actually pre-warned me and said, just be careful. His name was Chico. And they said, I think his name was Chico. They said, just be careful with him. He's really intense and he is aggressive. And I looked at him and I thought, I'm a working dog guy. Like, what's he going to do? He's he's a tiny little, (laughs) like a little sausage. And I went in there and it was like somebody threw a rugby ball at me. He came he came wobbling through the air and latched hold of my jumper. And luckily I had a big sort of sloppy Joe sort of jumper on at the time. And he grabbed that and with every ounce of intensity, like, I mean, I had one small puncture in the side of my stomach, but he grabbed it and literally tore chunks out of my jumper. And I had a healthy respect for little dogs then and realized that saying that people say it's not the, I, I know it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah. 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 Little, little dogs. I like, I've only ever been bitten once. Thankfully I shouldn't say that out loud. Let me touch wood or something. And it was by, it was by a little papillon, a little Mm. baby papillon Mm. got me and she got me good. But apart from that, the big dogs, like I know them in most cases, like I'm very respectful. I'm not going to push the boundaries with them. I'm like, I'm not putting myself in that situation. The little ones, all the little ones will get you. (laughs) Yeah. They suck, (laughs) you know, like the big ones, you see it coming. You're like, mm. I see you're uncomfortable. My survival instinct inside tells me that things aren't going well here. But the little ones, in just a moment, they, they're like, I've had some close calls with some little dogs. They're just different, aren't they? But people love the, the fiery, spicy nature of little dogs as well. <laughs> yes, they well, do. We I, do. I, I yeah. like big ones. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything yeah. else that you've got going on in your business world or anything that you want to share with the listeners, Sasha? At the moment, it's been so crazy busy. Everyone's been excited that, you know, agility trials are back, dog shows are back, and now we're, we're in lockdown again. I think at the moment, COVID has kind of given us a good reason to slow down and to chill out and, and take that time for ourselves because we're so busy all the time and we don't do it. So right now, things are a little bit quiet here. So I'm taking the time to spend more time out in nature So we're out mountain biking with the dogs and we're just enjoying things. I'm taking more time to try and work towards some bigger goals that I have in terms of recipe cars and things like that. And just trying to plan for the future a little bit more. I'm always trying to think of ways that we can nicely and gently put people over to fresh food kind of feeding without them feeling guilty and and other negative feelings. So it's a good time to sit down and, and plan, I think. It yeah. is. That's really great. So if people aren't familiar with Sasha and Brittany's group, it's a fresh food feeding for dogs, kibble feeders welcome. You'll have to explain, you only take people in in chunks, don't you? So you can sort of pace the new members yeah. coming into the group. Yeah. So we may take on sometimes 100 or even 500 in a sitting and we let everyone settle in and sort of get used to what we talk about and everything like that. So we don't get 100 of the same questions every day. Mm. And then we'll let more people in. So you should definitely still join. We may let you in the next day. We may let you in the next week or within the next two weeks. Usually we've kind of started to let more people in at the moment, mostly Australian at the moment, just because we want to keep our figures really high with our Australian members. But definitely come and join us. We have a really great start here file that kind of gets you started. Even talks about hybrid feeding, which is kibble plus the fresh food. So even if you just want to, you know, just dip your toe in a little bit, we're more than happy to help you there. Yeah. And look, I can't recommend the group highly enough. I don't have a lot of time to spend on social media and especially like raw food feeding groups. You know, there's just so many out there. And like you said, you've just got to find one that sits well with you. Your group just sits well with me. 
and I just don't have the time to be going through all the other groups that are out there. So, yeah, join the group. And if they want to find more out about you and your conditioning work, Sasha, where can they get in touch with you that way? Yeah, the website, which is balanced-canine.com or Facebook, which is the Balanced Canine Sydney. Great. Are your books open to new clients? I know COVID throws a spanner in a little bit. Yeah. No, I actually just, after not taking new clients for about a year, I've just opened my books up again because my hours have now increased. I actually ditched my day job and I'm actually doing the Balanced Canine full time. So Congratulations. that was really exciting. Mm. Thank you. So awesome. that happened about three months ago. Mm. So I am seeing new clients again. So very cool. Okay, so we should um, probably wrap it up. We should probably wrap it up about there, but we'd love to thank you very much for a great conversation and learning a little bit more about you and all the great work that you're putting out in the community. Thank you, and also to Brittany as well, who we've had on the show before, for an incredible array of information that you put out there and a lot of it gratis as well. I know that takes a lot of time to produce that and to be able to put it out there, but wonderful service that you're offering and I can't highly recommend you enough to clients who have any mobility issues or, as you said, pre-preventative issues with their dogs. You certainly become iconic in the Sydney region. So great work. Yeah, I don't think I've got a dog client that I haven't recommended that they join your Facebook group Mm. and look at your recipes. It saves me so much time, Sasha. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. And, And thank you for the great podcast and challenging the way that we think. A lot of the material that you've had in your podcast has challenged some of my own belief systems and... I like that. I like that where we have to be open to learning new things. And because you bring the science, you bring the proof. So it's great. Thank you. If anyone wants to put out any questions about what they've heard today, they can jump onto the Facebook page, Natural Health for People and Pets. You can jump onto my website, naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au, and you can email me at norellit naturalhealthandnutrition.com.au. Thanks, Sasha. And maybe we'll have you on the show again Mm. sometime when you've got some new awesome projects that we can share with the listeners. Cool. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Bye.